Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Good morning, TLCC. Can we give it up for At The Movies? My name is Ben Stapley. I'm the executive pastor here on staff. It's great to have you guys with us. We are very excited about this series. If you guys have been around for a bit, you've heard us prepare the series telling you what we're doing. Why are we doing this? If you have it, your first time here, let me give you some context. Our desire with this series is to help us look at biggest blockbusters in Hollywood and find biblical truths behind them. That's the whole goal of the series. Another way in which we've been saying it is we're trying to put on a spectacle to ultimately showcase our Savior. So while you're here, just realize that's our heart's desire. That's what we're trying to show off. We're not trying to... Popcorn is a means to an end, y'all. It's a means to pointing us ultimately towards our Savior. So don't get, uh, don't get obscured. Realize what we're using it for. And in relationship to that as well, realize that we're stepping into a rich tradition of storytelling that Jesus did long before us. Jesus used the modern stories of his day to help point towards some deeper truths. Now, Jesus didn't have Hollywood and he didn't have movies playing behind him. No, he did not have that. But he had parables. Parables, if you're not aware, a parable is basically when Jesus told a story. He told a, a story that had a, an earthly message. Uh, sorry, a, a story about an earthly thing, but also with a heavenly message. An earthly story with a heavenly message. So he would tell earthly stories about farmers, fishermen, kings. Things his audience would understand that ultimately would have a heavenly message. Eternity, salvation, our gifts. So Jesus did that. He used modern stories of his day to connect with his audience. They say, hey, but you know what? I'm pointing towards a deeper truth. That's what we're trying to do, to do during this series as well. So we hopefully you're excited for that journey as we go along it. One of the things, too, is um, I wanted to flag that this is uh, it's going to be a great series, even if you've never seen the movie. So if you haven't seen the movies before, we think you're still going to get a lot out of it. That being said, we think the best way for you to experience this series is to watch the movie beforehand. So if I'm going to give you any homework, this is your homework. It's not to join another life group to serve on a team. My homework is really simple this morning. My homework is to watch movies. So the bar is very low for us in terms of what our action steps are. Watch the movies, and then I'll help prepare you to get the most out of it as you're coming into it. So we're, we're jumping in today. We're going to be looking at the greatest showman in a little bit, but let me, let me tease out the rest of the series so you know where we're going for the journey. So today, greatest showman. Next week, uh, Pastor Ryan's going to be talking about Secretariat, the, the horse racing movie. Then we have Inside Out. After that, we have Aladdin, the original 92 cartoon version featuring, yes, featuring um, the, you know, uh, not fe- oh, I'll say this, it's not, it's not the live ver- version featuring Will Smith. You know, after the slap, I think he was canceled in culture. We're not allowed to show that anymore after the slap. Um, so we're, we're showing the original 92 version to pull back on some, some of that nostalgia. And then we're concluding by watching um, and, and learning from Wall-E. So we have, we have something for everybody. Something for everybody. We got musicals, we got cartoons, we got animations, we got live action, and then we have a trash-compacting, non-speaking, adorably-looking robot. So something for everybody in this series. And when we're saying something for everybody, hopefully you find that to be true for yourselves, and more importantly for yourselves, for somebody that you would love to invite towards the series. We try to pick movies that would appeal to a wide demographic of people. So hopefully you could find a friend, neighbor, or coworker, and say, you know what, I know you don't like this movie, but I think you would like this movie. Would you join me with this? Would you come and join me 
for the At The Movies series and come and be a part of this movie. So if you haven't already, um, grab those invites that we've had outside. Invite someone to come join you for one of the movies over the next five weeks. The other nice thing about this series, I like as a parent, I can speak as a parent, I like this is that we're not just doing this as adults here in our experience, but we've actually tethered the message content with the kids as well down in Keyport Kids. So the movies that we're covering, they are covering it week by week by week. The nice thing about this is if any parents in the room can attest, you, you, you have a great experience, your kid has a great experience, and then you get in the car and you drive home and you ask them, what did you learn? You're looking in the rearview mirror, and your, your response is blank faces, nothing, right? You're like, Come on, what did you, what did you learn about? Jesus. <laughs> what, what did you learn about Jesus? You know, right? That he loves us, right? Like he, it's like pulling teeth, trying to get my kids to tell me what they learned in keyboard kids. Now, ah, I have a leg up on them. I know what they've learned. I got a chance to learn it as well. So that makes it really easy for me to engage them in that conversation and to make sure we as a family are growing towards Christ together. So if your parents take advantage of that, ask your kids what they learned on the way home and say, hey, this, this is what I learned about The Greatest Showman. What did you learn in your environment? Can we give it up for K-Port Kids helping us as adults, as parents, help our faith of our children be robust and grow? I'm very excited about that. So last thing, um, on the way out, we're going to have a number of costume characters standing by our photo booth. Make sure to get that selfie of yourself with them as well. Post it on social media. Tag it. We'd love for you to, to leverage that and to let more people know what's going on here at TLCC. So if you, if you want, swing on by the photo booth right after the service to do that. Okay, so we already flagged it. The movie we're jumping in today is The Greatest Showman. Show of hands, how many people have seen the movie? Okay, about a third of us. Keep your hands raised if you enjoyed the movie. Okay, I saw some extra hands go up even higher than that. That's great. It's a great, great movie if you've never seen it. I was very skeptical when I watched it. My wife inv invited me to see it, and I was skeptical because it's a musical. So, and I realized, I realized this is sacred ground, right? You know, we have a number of theatrical people. We're just a couple of miles from Manhattan. And a number of you guys work, you know, on Broadway. You work performing in musicals and do a phenomenal job. It's just not my cup of tea right? It's a church. Can we be honest here? Can we, it's a church. Can we be honest? We can be honest, okay? It's not my personal cup of tea in terms of movies, even though they're so, so well done. So my wife, to hook me in, she said, okay, you might not be into it, but don't worry. It's got one of your favorite characters in it. One of my favorite characters. Who's one of my favorite characters? She said, it has Wolverine in it. It's got Wolverine. If you, just, if you watch this movie with me, the claws are going to come out at some point, and, uh, and you're going to love it. So obviously it doesn't have Wolverine, but it has the, the actor Hugh Jackman who's played him, Phenomenal. He can do everything, sing, dance, you know, he can do it all. And so she pulled me in to watch the movie. When the movie actually came out, it did something really interesting at the, the box office. It did something very interesting at the box office. Most movies, when they come out, they'll come out high the opening weekend, and they'll progressively get lower and lower over the weeks. When The Greatest Showman came out, it actually did pretty poorly first opening weekend. It came in the fourth, fourth place in terms of the other movies that were playing. One of the reasons is because uh, the... Star Wars, The Last Jedi, was opening that weekend as well. Another reason is because it's a musical. It's a musical. That's the other reason why. Okay, I'll stop, on, I'll stop ragging on musicals right there. Okay, so that's the reason why it came in poorly. But, but it got a lot of great word-of-mouth promotion during that weekend. People saw it and were pleasantly surprised, and it blew their expectations away that this wasn't just a good movie. This was a great movie, and I think you would enjoy seeing it. 
And so the next weekend, the only time this has happened, they had a 76% increase of people viewing the movie the second weekend. That's the highest increase a movie's ever had at the box office because word started to get out that this is a great movie. It not only did really well at the box office, but it also did really well at the billboards. It did really well at the billboards. It won a Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song for This Is Me, and it became only the second album in 30 years to achieve 11 consecutive weeks at number one. So, I don't know you, but I've seen the movie, I have the soundtrack, me and my family sing it as we go to, to Target. It's a great, great movie. So, people have fallen in love in this movie, right? We talked a little bit about reason why, even though it's a musical, it's got, it's got great visuals, it's got a powerful story, it's got a very catchy soundtrack, and most importantly, most importantly, it has eternal themes woven towards it. People have not just watched this movie once, it's actually, again, the highest movie with repeat watches. I don't know how they track that, but this is the movie with the highest amount of repeat watches because of the strong themes that are hit throughout it. And we're going to hit some of those themes as we go into the message as well. Before I jump into some of the themes that we're going to hit, um, circuses. Circuses. Anybody here been to the circus before? Anybody? Okay, a bunch of us. A bunch of us. It's a bit of a dying art form, so I see not a lot of hands are up there. Right? It's been around for about 100 years, but it's like, hey, what are you doing this Friday night? Most people don't say, I'm going to the circus. It's a pretty unique experience to go towards. I was invited as a child to go to the circus, and I enjoyed it. It was a great experience. Uh, there was a spectacle. There was lights. There was sounds. There were smells. Some of them were coming from the animals. It was a great, great experience to be a part of a circus. And beyond like, the actual show itself, I enjoyed the sense of community. Because it seemed like all my classmates were there, the neighborhood kids, it seemed like everybody was there. There's this idea that at the circus, everybody is welcomed, everyone is invited, everyone shows up to the circus. The way I say it is this, everyone is invited into the kingdom of God, and everybody is warmly welcomed into his family. Just like that sense that when you come to the circus, everyone's welcomed, Everyone's invited, everyone shows up. That is the sense of the kingdom of God. God wants everybody to come in to the kingdom of God. His desire is that all people would be drawn onto himself. So we see the parallels between the circus and we see the parallels towards the kingdom of God. The sense that it's for everybody. As many of you probably know, the, the movie itself is based upon the historical character. It's not some of it's fiction, uh, it's not all fiction but it's based upon the historical figure of P.T. Barnum. P.T. Barnum, if you're not aware, he actually um, created the circus. There was no circus. There, was this, there wasn't a, a sense of entertainment prior to him showing up, saying, you know, I think we get a lot of animals and people performing, and we just put on a great show. People will come to that. Nobody had thought this through before. He was a complete entrepreneur when it came to this, and he was, he was a, a legitimate historical factor. Again, this movie, if you've seen it, it softens out some of the edges in terms of who he is. You know, some have claimed, and probably pretty accurately, that some of what he did would seem as exploitation nowadays. And so as we look back at him, we, we, we see some of that. The movie softens some of that, some of that to, to make him a more noble character. But he was an actual person. This movie is based upon a person. And beyond you know, the movie being based upon him, there's a number of historical characters that we see throughout the movie. One of those historical characters was the real-life person, Charles Stratton. Charles Stratton. During the movie, he has the, the name 
of General Tom Thumb. General Tom Thumb. And General Tom Thumb was born as a dwarf. He was only three feet, four inches high. And we see, as this character is introduced, the sense that he doesn't belong. He's laughed at. He has no place to, do, to call his home. He has no place where he has a sense of identity. But P.T. Barnum wants to change that. He wants to give him a place where he does have a home, where he does have honor and dignity. Let's take a look at that clip. You must be Gertrude Stratton. I'm looking for your son. I don't have a son. The hospital record says you do. Charles, right? Age 22? Charles! Charles! P.T. Barnum, at your service. I am putting together a show, and I need a star. You want people to laugh at me? Well, I'm laughing anyway, kid, so might as well get paid. I see a soldier, no, a general, riding across the stage with a sword and a gun and, and, and the most beautiful uniform ever made. People will come from all over the world and when they see him, they won't laugh. They'll salute. We see so many similarities to Christ in this clip. Uh, the first similarity is P.T. Barnum goes and seeks out Charles, to say, come and join me into my circus. Come be a part of who I am. We know about Jesus. Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are sinners. Christ isn't waiting for us to come to him. He's saying, I'm going to you guys. I'm coming to you because I love you and you have dignity and I'm coming at you. And even though people may set up barriers towards that, that does not dissuade me in my pursuit of you. P.T. Barnum shows up and says, is there a, is there a son here? Is there a gentleman named Charles? What is it? What does the mother say? No, I, I, I don't have a son. I'm embarrassed by my son. I won't even acknowledge his existence or the fact that I'm his mother. No, he does not live here. No, no, no. The birth certificate says he does. Let me in. And he comes in, and beyond the, the mother not believing in Charles, uh, Charles doesn't believe in himself, right? Why should I be a part of this? I'm just going to be mocked. And the P.T. Barnum ultimately sells him on the idea that, no, you have more in you than your height. You have more in you what people see on the outside. You have more than the laughing and jeers that are directed towards you. You have so much more that you should receive. If you be a part of my circus, I'm going to take you out of the shadows and put you on the stage. If you join my circus, you may feel like a misfit, but you're going to realize you're majestic. It's the same desire that Christ has as he pursues us. I'm coming and I'm pursuing people. I'm calling them out of the shadows and I want to put them on the stage because I believe in them. And even though you might feel like a misfit, you might feel there's deficiencies in you and shortcomings and a whole bunch of things that you're embarrassed by, Jesus says, I'm not. I'm not. I see you as majestic. I see you as having worth, and you're going to be the star of my show. We see a lot of similarities between there. Jesus just doesn't see you as a misfit. He sees you as majestic. So there's this theme about identity that runs throughout the movie. What is your identity, and are you willing to have it transformed? Will you let someone speak into you, speak words of life, and say, you are more than the way you see you, you are the way I see you, and you are majestic, not just a misfit. 
beyond the theme of identity, there's a, a theme of community, a sense that we all want belonging. We all want a place to call our home. We all want a place where we are accepted and we are loved. The way I say it this way in relationship to the movie is, is everyone is invited into the big top, under the big tent of a circus. Everyone is invited into the big top, and only there are we united as one and treated as equals. Only there are we united as one and treated as equals. We see this play out with Jesus as he invites his disciples to join him, to unite them as one and to treat them as equals. So where does Jesus go to find his disciples? Where does he go? Where would we go, right? We would go to a religious institution like this. We would go, we'd go to a church. There are some good, godly men and women dressed up nice, and those are the people I'm going to invite into my tribe. Those are the people that are going to help me start off this religious movement. I need some holy rollers, people like you, people like me. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not, that's not who I'm looking for. That's not who I'm looking for. Jesus, where does he go? He goes to the common, most lowly places. He goes to the, to the shore, and he looks for some fishermen. So people that would have had a trade that would have been disrespected and looked down upon, people that who would have physically smelt because of what they were dealing with all day. Jesus said, those are my people. Those are the people that society may see as misfits, but I see as majestic. Those are the people I've been fighting in. And after he gets a couple of fishermen to join his group of 12, he looks for someone else. He says, you know what, I need some additional people. I'm going to find me a tax collector. I'm going to find me a tax collector. And that phrase to us might not mean a lot right now. Right? A tax collector, okay, so he's, he's getting someone from the IRS to work for him. Okay, that's, you know, the IRS, you know, come April 14th, I don't really look forward to doing my taxes, but it's a noble job, it's something they have to get done, you know, it's a tax collector, I, I don't look down on them. And that's, that's how we view tax collectors in our society. You know, maybe a mild inconvenience at worst. But in Jesus' day, that position would have been seen completely different. It would have been seen as a complete misfit in their culture. Because Israel, if you're not aware, Israel is being subjugated by Rome, and Israel had to get, collect taxes on behalf of Rome. So they were collecting taxes not only based upon their own government, they were doing it suppressed by a foreign occupying force. So we're collecting money for them, for the Roman soldiers. The guys in the, who are walking by in their legion and are, and are abusing us and are pushing around, we're collecting money for them. And then when the tax collectors collected money, they collected some for the Romans, and then they collected some for themselves. They were generally seen in that day as extortionists, someone who's, who's getting money out of you. You know, kind of think of it, it's, a, it's basically like a loan shark and a repo man combined together. That was a tax collector in the day. It was a despised position, a misfit in their culture. If you ever bullied in junior high and you know, someone came and shook you down for lunch money, it's, it's that person, but now they're an adult, and they're doing this professionally. That is a tax collector. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, tax collectors are going to be in my inner 12. They're my posse, they're my closest friends, because guess what? Everybody, regardless of how much they see themselves, how much culture sees themselves as a misfit, all of them are majestic. I can give all of you worth and dignity. That is who I want in my inner 12. And that's what he's saying to us today as well. You may see yourself as a misfit, far from him. He says, I see you as majestic. Will you come and join my family? Will you come and join my circus? We see a play itself out this way in Luke chapter 5. Let me read the, the passage for us. Luke chapter 5, 
After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors, other extortionists, and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, the religious rulers, the the good Christian folk like us, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Everyone is invited into the big top because of Jesus' death and work on the cross. All are invited into his family. All are invited into his circus. It's interesting when kids feel a sense of alienation, when kids don't feel they, they belonged or connect, especially at home when they feel like they're not heard by their parents, they'll use a threat to threaten their parents by finding that connection somewhere else. You may have heard it. Maybe your kids said it to you. It's an odd expression, but I think you know how it ends. I'm, I'm going to run away, and I'm going to join the... The circus, what an odd phrase. Of all things to join, I'm going to join the circus. Why, do, why is this a, a phrase in our culture? Why are kids telling parents, I'm going to join the circus? You know? <laughs> I'm not going to join some other group. The circus of all things is because the circus, again, is where misfits are seen as majestic, where everybody's invited in, welcomed into the big top, and have a sense of community. P.T. Barnum realized that, and he pushed into that need of community. Jesus realizes that, and he pushes in our need for community. Will you join me under the big tap? Paul continues with this idea in 1 Corinthians. As he's writing the letter to the 1 Corinthians, there are some people in that church at Corinth that saw themselves as, yeah, pretty good. You know, um, I'm doing pretty good for myself. And it's, it's the reason that I, what I bring to the table that Jesus has accepted me. It's, it's because I'm a, I'm a real religious person. That's why Jesus has accepted me. And Paul has to push back at that tension and that, that feeling of self-sufficiency, that feeling of, I got it all by my own. And he tells them in chapter 2, he says, no, it's, it's not you. Uh, not many of us are, are noble. Not many of us are wise. Not many of us that were influential were called to God's kingdom. It's not the not because we have all these high merits that Jesus has called us in. In fact, it's because we're so lowly that Jesus has called us in. He's called us all in towards us, not because he thinks lowly of us, but because on our own, we don't have what it takes to be merited in. On our own, it doesn't. In fact, it's only because of Jesus' death and work on the cross that we are invited into God's kingdom. It's only because he has the merit. We don't have the merit. He has it. Because he gave up the most expensive thing, the most valuable thing, the most worthwhile thing he had. He gave up his life. He gave up this expensive thing. We didn't need to give up anything. He paid for us with his death. Because of that, we have free admission into a circus. It's not our merit that gets us in. It's Christ's merit that gets us in. We see this theme played out in the movie. This theme that with Christ, we're more than what we're more. Because of him, God sees us as having tremendous valuable. It's the great show-stopping tune of the movie, 
the number one bestseller in terms of soundtracks. It's the This Is Me. Let's listen into the character as she explains why she has value, why she has community. Let's take a look. I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us. For we are glorious. When the sharpest words want to cut me down. I'm gonna send a flood, gonna drown him out. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, cause here I come. And I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Let's remind ourselves of how that clip began. What does she say? She says, the bearded woman, I've learned to be ashamed 
of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. All the characters in this film sensed that. They felt that. They had a sense of being glorious because they were invited in by someone who saw them having worse. The bearded woman, the dog boy, the Irish giant, all these characters said, I have worth, I have glory. Someone has created me and infused me with glory. Someone is calling that out here in the show. P.T. Barnum is saying, you are glorious. He's saying, he's saying here's a stage for me. In the same way, P.T. Barnum does that. P.T. sees they have glory. J.C., Jesus Christ, says, we have glory. He says, you have glory. All of you have glory. You're phenomenally made in my image. You're sons and daughters of the kingdom. And ultimately, when you stand in front of the kingdom, when you stand in front of front of God in the eternal realm, what do people see? Do they see the fact that you're a misfit? No, they see you're majestic. They see that not when you bring in your sins and your shame. No, they see that you're, you're robed with Christ's righteousness. You have glory. You have glory because of Jesus. The prophet Jeremiah makes a really powerful illustration for the people of his day. And he makes a comparison to to help them realize that if they're looking for satisfaction in anything other than God, they're going to end up empty. They're going to end up falling short. Jeremiah says this in chapter 2, verses 13. He says, this is God speaking. God's saying, my people have forsaken me, me, the fountain of living water, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I don't know about you, I had to look up what is a cistern. I had to look that up. I wasn't aware of that term prior to coming to this verse. But if you're not aware, a cistern is basically a means of catching water during a rainy season so that during the dry season you have some place to gather water. Now for us, uh, where we are in the 21st century, not that big of a deal, right? You want water, you just go to the tap and you turn it on. You want, you want sparkling water, you can buy that. You want glacier water. You, there's so many different waters that we have access to ourselves right away. That is our context. That is not the context here in Jeremiah's day. In Jeremiah's day, he's writing to an agricultural culture, and they're in the dry and arid place. And so he's saying, yeah, cisterns are pretty important to us. If we're not gathering water during the rainy season, we're not going to have it during the dry season. We're going to dehydrate. We're going to die. This is life and death to us. A cistern, a place where we can store this water, is life and death. But he says to them, you've broken cisterns. If you've seen a cistern, it looks really commonplace on the top. Above the surface, it's just a basic hole in the ground. You see some funneling there to gather some water into it. But if you looked underneath, you would see its value, it's important, the way it's designed, the way it's structured. Okay, the holes on the top, it's gathering water. And underneath is the repository of water at which people can draw upon later on. But Jer Jeremiah says, you're like a cistern, but you're like a broken cistern. You're like a leaky cistern. The one thing a cistern's supposed to do is collect water. But if you find and you search for satisfaction outside of God, you're just like this. You're a leaky cistern. When you go to ultimately draw from the well, you're going to find out that it's empty. Nothing's there. Nothing is going to satisfy you other than him. That's what Jeremiah the prophet is pushing towards. Jesus continues to push into this metaphor in the New Testament. This, this idea that only God 
is a true sense of satisfaction and again uses that water imagery. In John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If you, if you find your satisfaction in me, that thirst will always be quenched. If you look for it in anyone other than me, when you go to the cistern, when you go to the well, when you go to that source of water and satisfaction, you're going to find it to be empty. So Jeremiah was telling the people of Israel, that's what Jesus was telling his person, his crowd, his audience that day, that's what he's telling us today. Only satisfaction is truly can be found in me. There was a study done amongst millionaires, and they asked them, are you satisfied? The study was conducted a couple years ago before inflation, so a million dollars was a little bit more then, but a million dollars is still a million dollars. Nothing to scoff at. I'm not a millionaire. So uh, they asked millionaires, hey, you've made a million dollars. Kind of a bit of a milestone when it comes to uh, business people, what their net worth is, a million dollars. And the majority of people who made a million dollars said, no, I'm not, I'm not fully satisfied in my wealth. They said, well, what would satisfy you? What would it be? And they said, you know, it's not a million, but when I hit two million, then I'm going to be satisfied. So the researchers said, okay, let's follow this narrative thread. Let's go to people with a net worth of $2 million, and let's find out if they are satisfied. So they asked them, are you, you have $2 million, not one, double that, you have $2 million, are you satisfied? And the same response they got was, you know what, no, not completely yet. So when would you be satisfied? You know what, when I hit that next milestone, when I hit $5 million. So the researchers went to people with a net worth of $5 million, and I think you know what the next response is going to be, Right? It's always a little bit more. It's always a little bit more that's going to satisfy me. Just slightly out of my reach. And when I get it, then I'll be satisfied. My daughter has been asking for about six months now for a hoverboard, something that would satisfy her. Seeing other kids on these things, to me it looks like a broken bone and a trip to the hospital. But she's now this is going to be really fun. It's going to be really fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to jump on it, but she, she can jump on it. So... She's been wanting one of these for six months. And like most parents, you know, if they got a kid's got a request, and maybe you don't see eye to eye on it, you don't see the value of it, you know, you kind of just like try to, to, to delay that and reorient them somewhere else and push their attention somewhere else. And so I tried to do that. But each month she came back to me, I want one, I want one. And that, that, that longing never went away. That longing was there the whole time. So we said, finally, okay, this is, that is just not going to spend $200 on this hoverboard, uh, you know, now. But Come your birthday, that can be a gift that will get you. If you still want it then six months down the road, I was assuming she would not, but come six months down the road, she still wanted that hoverboard and that potentially broken bone. So, okay, I'll be a good dad. I'll buy you one of these. So we bought her the hoverboard. She was ecstatic. She opened it up, got it out, read the instructions, powered that thing on, and then she wrote it. She wrote it for six minutes. Six minutes. That was a couple months ago. She wrote it that initial day on her birthday for six minutes, has not written it yet after that. Asked for it for six months. I did not hear the end of those requests for six months as a parent. She finally got it and wrote it for six minutes. Something that was going to satisfy her completely did for six minutes. Six minutes. And we can laugh, right? We can kind of look at our children or maybe other people's children's, and saying, yeah, you know, your, your children aren't satisfied in that. That's a, that's a child issue. That's not an adult issue. Let's not fool ourselves. We struggle with the same issue. That impairment affects us as well. That might be not something as silly as that, right, a hoverboard, but it might be uh, the cash. 
If I get enough cash, I'll be satisfied. If I get the million dollars. Or maybe it's our toys. It's not a hoverboard, but it's a car. If I get that nice sports car, you'd see a lot of men in midlife crises as they get that sports car thinking it's going to satisfy, and it doesn't satisfy. Our careers, our cars, our cashes, or maybe as some parents, our kids. These kids, I'm going to raise them up. They're going to become Ivy League students, and they're going to go farther than me, and we put all of our satisfaction in them. But at the end of the day, that satisfaction comes to an end. And we, what we're reaching for doesn't fully fill up our hands. We see that in the movie as well, characters in the movie. So, so P.T. Barnum, towards the end of the movie, towards his career, had done very well. Very financially, from a businessman, he did very well. He had the public's acclaim. Crowds were coming out, the big top was being filled up, he was getting cash, he was doing very He had public acclaim, but he didn't have the critics' acclaim. He didn't have the critics' approval. So throughout the movie, there's an antagonistic character, a critic, who was just saying, this is low-brow entertainment, it's, you know, it's for the masses, but it's not for the educated class. It's not for someone who's sophisticated. And P.T. Barnum wants the approval of a critic. He wants the approval of this gentleman. He's trying to reach out and be satisfied by his approval. So what does he do? He goes and says, ah, I'm going to give him some highbrow entertainment. He goes over to Europe, and he finds the songbird of his generation, a woman called Jenny Lind. She's a Swedish opera singer, and she could just belt it and blow out the house. So P.T. Barnum says to her, if I bring you back to the States and you perform, well, first of all, you're, the whole world's going to be introduced to you. And I'll put you on a tour in which everybody sees you. And you are going to get acclaim, and I'm going to get acclaim. I'm finally going to get the thing I've been craving for this whole time, the validation of the critic. Well, anyway, she comes on over, and she has a relationship, or she tries to have a relationship with P.T. Barnum. P.T. Barnum's a married man. He has some kids. And uh, first, he's kind of tempted and he's considering a relationship with her. But ultimately, he says, you know what? No, I need to be faithful to my wife. I'm not going to have a relationship with you. And so she was looking for satisfaction as well. Satisfaction in this relationship. If I have a relationship with P.T. Barnum, then I may be satisfied. Then that might be enough. But towards the end, both P. he, P.T. Barnum, and she, Jenny Lind, realize that what they're seeking for will not be enough for them, and it will not satisfy them. Let's take a listen to hear what Jenny Lynn sings in relationship to that. All the shine of a thousand spotlights All the stars we steal from the night sky Will never be enough Never be enough Towns of gold are still too little These hands could hold the
Towers of gold, these hands could reach the world, but it would never be enough. Never be enough. We've talked about it already as these characters are reaching out to find themselves wanting more, but not being satisfied with what they were grabbing towards. And you here this morning may have felt that in the past, or you may be feeling some of that now. Some of the things that you are trying to fill your hands with, you realize is not filling your soul with. Your cash, your career, your cars, your kids, whatever it might be, you're realizing it is not enough. And in fact, it will it'll never be enough. So what do you do? Where do you go? Where do you turn towards? Turn towards Jesus, who says that I will always satisfy you like bread that never ends. And when it comes to your thirst, it will always be quenched. I am the only source of true satisfaction and having enough. If that has awoken within you this morning, or maybe this lack has been here your whole life, and this is the first time you're hearing how to respond to it, I want to give you a chance to respond in prayer. To acknowledge that Jesus is enough. Jesus is the only source of being enough. And until you respond to that, you're always going to have a gaping hole in your life that you're trying to fill it with. And it's a broken cistern, just leaking out again and again. That's you. If you realize what you have is not enough and you want to fill it with your Savior, then pray this prayer with me. God, we, we, I apologize that we try to fill the void in our life with everything other than you. And all those things will find themselves lacking, coming short, not being enough. And so this morning we turn towards you, the source of our true satisfaction and identity, our true source of enough. Jesus, we, we apologize for trying to fill our lives with anything other than you. And instead, we ask that you would come into our lives and you would fill us. We thank you for your death and your resurrection on the cross, that that is enough. That is enough. And we claim that for ourselves. We forgive, we ask for your forgiveness over our sins and we accept you as our Savior. We accept you as enough in our lives. 
Because of that, we thank you that we are brought into your family, brought into the big top, brought into the circus, into your eternal family this morning. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, realize that you've stepped from, from death to life. You've stepped out of darkness into light. You've stepped out of the misfit realm and you are now seen as majestic. You're seen as majestic. You're seen as glorious. But beyond praying that prayer, we ask that you would share that good news with somebody. Maybe it's somebody that you came with. Maybe it's a friend or family member who's not here. Maybe it's a staff member or another volunteer. Share that good news. Help us celebrate with you this monumental moment in your life this morning.